Welcome to another episode of the Christian Combatives Podcast. This is your host and servant in Jesus Christ, Paladin Actual. A few days ago, I put out a video or <laughs> a podcast audio, if that's how you listen to it, about the Lutheran Rosary. Now, the Lutheran Rosary is something that I'd heard about in passing here or there, but I just happened to run into somebody who's very, very passionate about it, and we had a very spirited conversation about it. So I put out this video asking, well, specifically asking one question, but asking kind of generally to know more. Now, I framed this as a, as a fight, a fight about the Lutheran Rosary. And more than anything, this is just kind of having fun because I don't think anybody's going to go to hell for praying a Lutheran Rosary. Likewise, I don't think anybody who prays the Lutheran Rosary necessarily thinks that uh, those of us who don't are, are going to hell for not praying the Lutheran Rosary. So it's not a purely legalistic, like heaven, hell type thing, but it's a good thing. It's a let's sit down and hash out why we do what we do. So the question I asked was, what specific benefit does the Lutheran Rosary provide that you can't get other ways? Now, I actually had a couple of really great responses that kind of added, because I had a few things of like, okay, I can consider that it, it, it conveys these specific benefits, and I list them in the video. Uh, but since then, I've had people kind of uh, suggest more benefits, additional benefits that it, could, that it could potentially convey, as well as some people say, well, these are some concerns I have about the practice, about the usage of the Lutheran Rosary. Now, again, that was my question. What specific benefit does it convert? Could, excuse me, does it, does it confer? What, why? The question is, why do you do it? It's not saying you should never do it. It's, if you're going to do it, what are you doing and why are you doing it? So with that, I put this video up and I had a couple of responses, quite a few text responses uh, and actually two different, uh, two different video responses. I'm going to go through at least one of the video responses here and uh, I don't know if I'll have time to go through the next one um, yet. It may, it may require an additional video. Originally, I was watching this video and I was kind of writing down the responses to the video and I realized, you know what? It would be a lot more fun just to go through the video with you guys together. So I've actually, you know, I've sped this guy up, not because I, I, I think that he doesn't, doesn't, you know, he shouldn't have the time dedicated to listening to him, but just so we can get through the content and because I listen to all videos sped up. So if you're speeding up my podcast, I'm sorry, this two times sped up video you're listening to is going to be four times as fast, whereas I will talk just as quickly as I can to keep up with it. So without further ado, I'd like to actually go through the response by, uh, by Pastor Connor, the response that he made, he made to the video, actually with a little bit further ado. So first and foremost, I, I, I'd like to say, listen to the video, his video in, in its entirety. It's really easy to kind of skip around when you're having a disagreement with somebody and just listen to parts. Oh, I listen to the beginning, I listen to the end. Same thing if you're going to listen to my stupid rosary video. Just listen to it all the way through, all right? Just because something I said or something he said, you know, you may have had a thought in your mind and something he said may have addressed that, that thought. So do the due diligence and listen to it uh, start to finish at least one time. Now, from what I understand, he's actually listened to, to my, or somebody else listened to my Lutheran rosary video like three times. So I was like, okay, <laughs> I didn't think it was that interesting. Um, but it's good that it sparked a, a very fascinating conversation, and it seems like a lot of people really want to talk about it. So, uh, you know, if I was, uh, what's, what's his name, uh, Gavin Ortland, I would say be ironic about it, but I'm not Gavin Ortland. Gavin Ortland is Gavin Ortland. I would say be patient. Be, try to be understanding about it. Try to understand the other person uh, and what, what they're presenting, and try to present yourself in a way that's easy to understand. Now, know in advance that people are going to misunderstand you. Just roll with it. It's okay. It's okay, especially on this topic. Again, this isn't a heaven or hell question. This is something you can get passionate and fired up about and even have a little bit of fun with and learn something and teach something. But, you know, take it seriously, but don't take it personally. 
That's what I'd say. <laughs> so now, without further ado, I'm going to hit play, and we're just going to go through the video, and I'll pause it and kind of give responses uh, on a case-by-case -case basis. Here we go. Hello, everybody. This is Pastor Connor. I'm just hopping on today. I wanted Ooh. to do a quick-ish, uh, maybe not quick. We'll that is a little too fast. Let's do it down to 175. Yeah, um, response video to Pastor Cal. Uh, I don't know his full name. I do know of him. My we Facebook name is one another. Cal uh, Ellen Callahan. Lutheran pastor, it's and he has a, a YouTube channel, Christian Combatives. And he and I are in some of the same Facebook groups and Discord groups. And he had posted just recently, uh, which I didn't see when he posted. He posted it four days ago. I just saw it today. Posted in what is supposed to be a high church Lutheran Facebook group. And there, most people in the comments did uh, uh, not most, a significant amount did not really like what he had to say. And I also did not like what he had to say. And this was his video responding to the Lutheran Rosary. See, he is not a fan of the Lutheran Rosary. Um, and so he got on and he spoke for 45 minutes-ish on why he doesn't like it, why he doesn't understand it, why he is personally against it. Now, can I just summarize for you basically some of what his arguments are? I don't really think that they're all that good. Uh, his arguments, in my opinion, what they did, and this, no offense to Pastor Cal, but in my opinion, as one who uh, reads a lot of liturgics and reads a lot of uh, material on prayer and private devotions and that, uh, he didn't really use, uh, he did not speak in a way that I, I guess would show himself to have a very deep understanding either intellectually or experientially of the matter. Uh, so it, I'm not saying that he knows really, really well or has thought really, really well and just completely rejected it. What I guess I got more from the video was that he doesn't really understand it, doesn't really want to understand it. And maybe I guess if, if, if Pastor Cal ends up watching this, uh, forgive me, but uh, <laughs> I guess my, my request to you, my suggestion would be to uh, maybe just sit with this idea, this concept a little while longer. Maybe try, if you can, to experience a little bit about what is being spoken of with. All right. I'm not offended. You're absolutely right. I, I, I don't get it. I don't get the Lutheran Rosary, hence why I'm asking people to explain it to me. So when I made the Lutheran Rosary video, this is not me saying, well, I know everything all about church history and everything all about the Rosary and the Catholic Rosary and the Anglican Rosary and the, you know, the prayer beads and the, and the prayer ropes and all these other things. And, and this is the definitive, you know, be all, end all. And nobody, nobody, nobody should ever disagree with me. My, quite the opposite. I was saying, look, I got introduced to this thing just a little while ago. I know nothing about the Anglican Rosary. I know nothing about the Eastern Orthodox prayer ropes or anything like that. All I know about the Lutheran Rosary is that which I've been given and that which I know about the Roman Catholic Rosary. Some of, you know, some of the things are derived therefrom. So yeah, my video, my let's fight about the uh, Lutheran Rosary video was actually appropriate for me to get more information. So thank you so much to Pastor Connor and to everybody else who responded. And now, if I was antagonistic and that spurred you to a response, good. I think people it, will enjoy it better if we have a passionate conversation about this thing. But yes, you're spot on and I'm not offended at all. I don't get the Lutheran Rosary, so please explain it to me. Mental and contemplative prayer. So anyways, I mean, that's what we're going to be talking about, basically. We're going to be talking about verbal, mental, contemplative prayer. We're going to be talking about liturgics and liturgical rubrics and the engagement of the body and the enfleshed person. We're going to be talking about prayer tradition, the rosary, the Lutheran rosary, the Anglican rosary, the Orthodox prayer rope, um, and the Psalter and the Liturgy of the Hours. Uh, so if you're not interested in that, don't, don't stay. But if that stuff is really what uh, gets you going, like it is what gets me going, then you're in for time. So as we begin, I just want to say basically, just as I said I was going to say, basically his arguments were this. He said, and let me just pull one out. I do have one. I have several, in case you didn't think I did. Um, so he pulls out a rosary and he's like, this is a rosary. And uh, what people do on this when they play, pray the Lutheran rosary is they, you know, they just pray. He's speaking very reverently. He's like, they just pray, you know, our fathers and this is a cross. And he's like, for the Roman Catholics, it's a crucifix, but for us, it's a cross. Here's the thing. Uh, for all Christians, especially Lutherans, it should be a crucifix uh, because an empty cross never saved anybody. Uh, only a cross with Christ on it uh, is our salvation, is our gospel. And so I actually have, I have a crucifix there. I have a crucifix there. I have a crucifix on my belt. I have a crucifix around my neck. I have a crucifix here. I have a crucifix behind me. You can't really see it because of the color there. It's under that bronze cross. I have a crucifix over there, one over there, one over there. You know, so uh, <laughs> I thought that was very odd. And so so th this is a misunderstanding. I think we actually agree here, but somehow how I spoke was misunderstood. I don't think that the cross is a replacement for the crucifix. I don't think even necessarily it's superior to the, to the crucifix at all. Um, what I was saying was what I have is, so 
I, I actually I get a lot of crucifix crucifix eye from uh, from Roman Catholic sources. I get a lot of uh, prayer chains and or uh, uh, prayer rope, whatever crucifixes mostly. The, the either the ones with the knots or the ones with the beads. I get a ton of them as a chaplain, as a military chaplain. I get lots of them, and some of them, the ones even the ones that include the little note card that says "Blessed by the Sisters of such and such of uh, you know whatever cathedral that you know put them together and lovingly made them. Um, some of them aren't crucifixes. There are, and some of them, in addition to not being crucifixes, don't even have a cross at all. Some of them have miraculous medals at the end of them. I've seen those too. Where you have a, uh, we have a Roman Catholic rosary that doesn't have it has a it has a miraculous medal at the end instead of a crucifix. So this is what I was saying. I was saying there are different kinds of things that are often referred to as a crucifix physically. I've seen different variations, particularly of the thing on the end, which again I think should be a crucifix. Now, just because a crucifix I think is fantastic and. Christ on the cross is, is the moment of our salvation, not an empty cross. You're right. An empty cross does not, does not signify the moment of our salvation, but an empty cross is also a traditional Christian symbol. Now, we want to say, well, it's a later developed Christian symbol. I mean, I've got my, I've got my uh, stole back there. It's got crosses on it. My, my chasuble has a big cross on it. Uh, up here, I've got, a, I've got a big old sword that hangs on my wall. It's got a Jerusalem cross on the, uh, on the pommel. I've got uh, a document from, you know, my ordination document has the LCMS swoosh cross on it. Um, I've got a picture of the Concordia Seminary, and on top of the steeple, it's got a cross on Kramer Chapel. There are crosses all over the place. Go look at grave markers. Go look at uh, flags. Uh, there are crosses that aren't just, not even the cross that Christ was crucified. I mean, you think about uh, think about the Scottish flag. It's got St. Andrew's cross, or the English flag has has a, has a big red cross on it. And some people even have the Petrine cross, the cross of Peter, which is, he was crucified upside down, as far as we know. So the cross is a Christian symbol, whereas the crucifix is explicit about this is the moment of your salvation, is Christ's death on the cross. Of course, it's meant to remind you of that moment. That being said, in the same way that the little fish pattern or, you know, crossing yourself or, 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 or having a, a little cross, an empty cross, and you know, wearing it around your neck, that can also remind you of your Christian faith, of your baptism. I mean, again, Luther says that this reminds you of your baptism. There's no crucifix here when I'm making the sign of the cross with my hands, but it's a reminder of my baptism. Likewise, if you have a cross, if you have a, a, a if you've got, so I've got a Cairo on my, on my ring. Uh, and, and a lot of times, you know, the X is, is, is kind of, it's, it's a reference to the cross. I mean, it's Christo, but <laughs> the first two letters of, of, of the name for Christ, but it's also sometimes seen as, uh, as, as a cross in and of itself. So the symbol of a cross itself should not be necessarily discarded just because the crucifix is wonderful. I again, like I noticed behind you on the uh, let me see point here on the uh, on the altar behind you, um, you've got you've got the Cairo. That's the the for those who don't understand, it's a P with the X. So you've got he's got this symbol on um, on the altar behind him at the bases of the candle stands. Uh, and also right behind him, as you'll see, he moves his head in, in, in the video a little bit. He has a crucifix. He also has a cross. So the cross is a Christian symbol. And, and you know, if somebody has, somebody has a rosary, it's got a cross on it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, again, I would prefer, I prefer the crucifix for a multitude of reasons. Specifically, you can't really see it that well, but I have a raised, it, it's a physical, you know, kind of carving or whatever of, of Jesus on the cross. And the reason I have this in particular, rather than kind of imprinted on the cross, is because sometimes I visit people in the hospital, and sometimes the people can't see very well in the hospital. And I've experienced that they found great comfort in holding onto the crucifix, not, not because it's like a magic relic or anything like that. I don't have to like specifically reverence you know, a chain that I wear around my neck. It's a reminder of Christ. This has no holy power in and of itself. I don't repel vampires with it or anything. 
But what they find is that the physical sensation of feeling Christ on the cross is a reminder of their salvation. That's a comfort to them. That's fantastic, as long as they're not treating it like a good luck charm, which I'm not accusing people of doing, but it can happen. Anyways, that's enough of me talking. Uh, we agree. I, I, I love the crucifix. We have a crucifix behind our altar. We also have a cross on the wall here, or the previous cross in the church. Um, crucifixes are great. Crosses are great, too. Kind of different reasons, though. But uh, the crucifix points to the crucifixion. The cross points to, it's a, just a symbol of the Christian faith. Um, you have both on the altar behind you. I, I think you understand. As he's going through this, he's saying, you know, a lot of these prayers are not bad. And so he's saying the creed is not bad. Obviously, the Our Father is not bad. Um, and then he speaks about the Jesus prayer because that is what the Lutheran rosary is mostly uh, comprised of. And we'll talk about that in a second. He says that's not bad in and of itself. But one of his complaints about it was in his mind, in his opinion, uh, the Lutheran rosary and all rosaries and all prayer beads and all prayer ropes are based around vain repetition. So this is one thing we're going to have to talk about, this notion of vain repetition. Um, this is something that he should, as, as a Lutheran, know better than to bring up. Uh, because, And I'll get into a kind of why this is. In, in a second, but as a Lutheran, he, he should know better that what makes something a vain repetition is not that you actually repeat it, but rather that it is vain, that thing that you're repeating or that you are doing it for vain purposes. So I absolutely agree. It's not the fact that it's repeated, but it's that it's repeated for vain purposes. So for example, um, uh, I, I talked about the Lutheran rosary practice, including vain, vain repetitions. I didn't mean, I did mean vain. So it's not just repetition. Setting up, for example, an arbitrary number of repetitions that doesn't contribute to anything, that's vanity. Vanity just means that there's nothing there. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's got no substance. Um, telling someone to repeat a pair, uh, repeat, excuse me, repeat or contemplate a prayer until their heart is no longer troubled or is less troubled, that's not vain. That serves a specific purpose. My question was, what specific purpose does repeating a, pair, a prayer 53 times exactly, what is, what is the function of repeating this prayer 53 times? If you have uh, 10 repetitions, why not 11? Why not three? Why not two? Now, you can say, you know, three or 12 or whatever is a holy number or 40 is a holy number, whatever. There's tons of holy numbers in the Bible. Um, but that doesn't actually contribute anything. So it would be vain. The vanity is not that a prayer is repeated necessarily. That can be very helpful. It can be helpful to, to meditate and contemplate uh, on the content of the prayer and who you're praying to. The vanity is in the prescription for a rote number of repetitions of the, of, of the prayer. Does that Hopefully that, that kind of makes sense. So I do mean I do mean vain in addition to the repetition. The repetition itself, there's repetitions in the Psalms, for example. That's fine. But there 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 is a way to turn that repetition into a vain repetition. And that's that's what I'm concerned about regarding the the rosary. Then he, he goes on and he also makes uh, one complaint about why there's numberings. Why, why do you have to say three prayers yeah. here? Why do you have to say ten prayers here? Why do you have to use these beads? And then he makes a, an issue also about the beads. He says, at best, to quote him, he says they're a fidget spinner. At mm -hmm. worst, I forget what he says, but he doesn't speak very nicely or reverently about it. Uh, <laughs> as far as prayer traditions go... Yeah, I don't... I mean, again, why should I speak reverently about the rosary? That's my question, is why? Like, it's, it's a tool. Let's, let's be honest here. The rosary is a tool. At least it's supposed to be a tool. It shouldn't be a relic. It shouldn't be something... It's not a sacrament. Now, I reverently deal with the sacraments. I reverently deal with baptism with the consecrated elements. I reverently deal with God's word printed on paper. But am I supposed to reverently deal with a tool that, I mean, I'm not going to just like throw the crucifix in the garbage, but I'm not like, I'm not, there, there's some sort of way that I'm supposed to cradle the, the, the rosary and, you know, in a special way or like, I, okay, I, sure, I mean, I put the, I wear, somebody told me, they said it was irreverent to wear a crucifix around your neck. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm like, dude, that's a necklace. Like that, it's designed to be worn around your neck so you can carry it with you everywhere you go, right? Now I've seen people, they, they have it tied around their cincture or they have it in their pocket or whatever. So there's other ways to do it too. But I'm pretty sure that one of its functions 
is, you know, is a necklace. Maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? I don't know that much about the rosary, I guess. Um, but yeah, function. What is the function? It is a tool. What is, what is the, the, the function of the tool is, 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 is my concern. Uh, all right. I think I may have last, lost my train of thought. So let's keep going. Uh, Pastor Cal says these things are, he calls them devotionals, and he calls also matins and vespers devotionals. Uh, this is incorrect. What he's trying to say is uh, private devotions. Uh, it's true. Rosaries and uh, private... I mean a devotional in, this, in the sense of like uh, matins and vespers. They've got a preset kind of structure that you can follow. So sometimes when I'm like, I just need something. I need to read the Bible. I need to pray stuff. I, I you know, I could come up with something on the spot. It helps to have uh, a, a, a preset structure in place. Again, it's a tool. It's a tool. And the tool has a function, <laughs> a specific defined function, and that's what you use it for. The prayer practices are what are called private devotions, but the liturgy of the hours, right? That is a matins, vespers, combine. If you do the full litur liturgy of the hours, it's, it's different, right? You have prime, you have sex, you have known, uh, you, have, you have many different seven hours, right? If you're using the full thing. Uh, and there, no, it is actually not private devotions. Uh, it is actually the official prayer of, of the church, of the Christian. Uh, no, not really, no. It's, um, it's, a, it's a practice that was developed over time. The, the liturgical hours were developed over, the, over time. It's not like Jesus is like, all right, and Peter... You know, you are the rock, and, and I'm the rock. I build the church, and I build it with, you know, with this many hours, and, and you have to follow the... It's, 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 I mean, again, it's traditional. It is very traditional, um, and it, there's... Well, it's traditional. There's, there's a lot of different traditions, uh, actually, and they have had many wonderful benefits. So there's, there's, as far as I know, there's not really anything wrong with this tradition in particular, but, I mean, it's not like, okay, this is the official, like, this is what the church always does. It's, oh, it's... Yeah, it, it, it's wonderful. It happens a lot, but I mean, it's a tool. <laughs> it's a tool that was developed. You could develop another tool. You could develop additional services, addition, additional ways to kind of kind of meditate, um, and those could be wonderful as well. They may not have as much as many years of tradition behind them, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they won't they won't they won't serve a beautiful function like the liturgical hours do church that's done by the roman catholics it's done by the lutherans it's done by the anglicans it's done by the oriental and the eastern orthodox and the church of the east as well so uh, no uh, not these things are not all private devotions now the distinction between a private devotion and something that is an official prayer of the church is that a private devotion is something you choose to engage in right? a lot of people look at the rosary and they say that's the official prayer of the roman catholic church it's not actually the official prayer of the roman catholic church is the same one that we have it's Matins, vespers compline as well as with the minor hours there i in, i would say the official prayer of the church if anything would be like the lord's prayer or something from the bible um yeah, I, I mean, I, what is official in the church is defined by is defined by God and and revealed to us in, in Scripture, not defined by the traditions that develop either in the East or the West or both. So, yeah. And what that is, again, I'm sure, and maybe Pastor Cal has not thought that long about it, but really, when you get down to it, I'm sure if he follows his logic to the end, he will conclude either the Lutheran Rosary is fine or... Liturgy of the Hours is also not fine because, as he, I, as the logic that he was using would, would conclude in, why, why do you need to uh, begin with, O Lord, open my lips? Why do you have to say Psalm 141 in Vespers? Why do you have to, and this, when will this end? It does not end. It comes also into the liturgy of the Eucharist. Why do we begin with confession and absolution? Why is this necessary? Why do we have the Kyrie? And, and I think, let me just say this, a, a lot of the way that he is speaking is intended to combat legalism, but from my perspective, it is itself legalism because he's aiming for this um, bare minimum of, well, if I don't need to do something, then I, I'm not going to do it. And I'm not I... That's that's not what I meant to represent. If that's how it came across, then I apologize for misrepresenting the position. Um, absolutely not. I love the liturgical hours. Not because they are somehow especially holy or official. They, not that they accomplish uh, a kind of prayer, praise, or devotion that cannot be you know, created by us now, but because they're a tool. They're a wonderful functional tool. And one of the functions of their tool is actually their antiquity because they're so well-known and they're tested. They've stood the test of time. This is one of the reasons why we are hesitant often to develop new tools. Though you'll see that we do have new hymns and they're wonderful and new prayers are developed and they're wonderful too. 
Uh, they can be. <laughs> not always necessarily. I mean, just because something's old doesn't mean it's good. And just something's just because some, something's new doesn't mean it's bad. But you know, there's things are tested by time. But yeah, the liturgical hours—they're an organized structure. They're a schedule. Now, if the rosary somehow encouraged Christians to say one prayer every three hours, I think that that would be a better function than you know saying the same prayer fifty-three times. I think that that would serve a function. Um, so my issue here with the rosary that exists with the rosary and not with the liturgical hours, for example, is function. What, what is the specific goal, the specific function of the tool? Litur- liturgical hours are a tool. The schedule is a tool. I believe that the things we do, uh, or I believe that things that we use that are not biblically prescribed should be functional. I'm not saying that just disregard everything that's not mentioned in the Bible, but if you're doing something, if you're using something, Why? Why? What, what, why exactly are you using it? They should serve a purpose, a specific purpose, to help us and others get everything, the best that we can from God. So again, liturgical hours might encourage people to read more Scripture and pray more and spend more time contemplating the mysteries of God and, and, and focusing on God. So that's wonderful. That's a, a specific function that they serve. Now, So for example, uh, you could have a schedule to read through the Bible. Like, let's say you read two chapters a day or something like that. Just a super simple schedule, super complicated, whatever. Uh, it can serve a function. Even though uh, even though such a thing is never prescribed by God, God never says specifically, okay, now you see all these markings that I put the chapter and verses in the Bible. Uh, read, two, uh, read two chapters every day. Like, God never does that. It's not like an official copyright church practice either. So, like I said before, there's a million, billion different structures to remind people to pray, to meditate, and to read God's Word. I'm all in favor of the ones that serve that function the best. But you have to be intentional. You have to say, like, this is why. This is why we do this. This is why we do matins or vespers. Or, you know, for example, um, why do you do matins at a different time that you would do vespers? Why do you do Compline at the end of the day? Why do you do one and not the other? Why do you include some some type of music and some, um, uh, some scripture, some prayers in some and not the other? There's a specific reason for it. In each of these things, there's functions behind it. They're designed as tools to, to best facilitate uh, worship and, and prayer life. So anyways, let's keep going. I'm not going to structure my, way that, my, my life that way or my prayer that way or my liturgies that way. Now, what I have to say about this is that we don't do these things because we have to. We don't right. do these things because God instituted or because we think that God instituted them or that, for example, God will not forgive my sins if I don't uh, celebrate the Feast of St. Bartholomew. Like, like I was just recording an episode about that for uh, the Augsburg uh, Confession, Article 15, or maybe it was 16, I forget. Um, we do these things because they're beneficial. Why, like, for example, okay. let, let, let's just take let's just take the uh, liturgy of the hours for vespers. Do I need to pray vespers? Will I go to hell if I don't pray vespers? No, right now, from Pastor Cal's perspective, should he, as he says, should I do it? Because you know, why do you want to do it just because it's old? No, I want to do it because it's amazing. I want to do it because it's nourished the faith of Christians not only right now, universally, everywhere in the whole world, but for two thousand years. But this goes all the way back to Saint Mark. And if you don't know that history, maybe we should do an episode on that and the original uh, liturgy of the hours that comes from Saint. All right. So, um, so yeah, my question has has continually been, what is the specific benefit? Now, now, um. When he's talking about praying the uh, liturgical hours here, um, it's funny. I, I was accused of, of a logical fallacy by asking why. It's like, how dare you ask why? It's like, what do you, what do you mean? Why? How dare I ask why? Like, of course I'm going to ask why. I, I want to know more. Yeah, I'd be, I would be a fool not to constantly seek more knowledge and more understanding. So Pastor Connor points out that they're, they're beneficial. Uh, and, and again, the question, the question I've asked is, is why both? Well, I mean, 
I can better answer the question for the liturgical hours than I can for the rosary. I'm more familiar with the liturgical hours than I am with the rosary. So I can kind of answer that question. So for somebody who is familiar with the rosary, this is the same question. Like I could, I could explain some of the, uh, some of the liturgical hours to you and, you know, why you do it and, and how, the benefit that it gives you. Um, so I'm asking, you know, in, in response, let's, let's do the same thing for the Lutheran rosary. I mean, I ask because I knew of a few benefits. I could come up with a few benefits of the Lutheran Rosary, for example, and I would like to know more. Now, it isn't legalistic to expect a reason behind theological practices. That isn't legalism. It's, it's Christian. We Christians are intentional. We should be, and we always have been. We're not a religion of empty tradition and, and meaningless decoration. Christianity never was. It was always intentional. So let's be intentional here, here as well. Now, uh, Pastor Connor, when, he, when he's mentioning the liturgical hours, I mean, again, I'm positive. I I guarantee you that he could do an entire video series about this sort of stuff and break down a bunch of wonderful specific benefits of this. In this case, he he mentions three things. He says it's beneficial, that it's amazing, and that it's nourished the faith of Christians for two thousand years. Now, all of those may be true, but none of them are really specific. Like, what specific thing like does does that thing accomplish? Now, again. I don't need to get into liturgical hours. I don't think that there's necessarily going to be that much of a disagreement. My question is applying these to the Lutheran Rosary. Like, is the Lutheran Rosary beneficial? How? Is it amazing? Why so? Has it nourished the faith of Christians for 2,000 years? In what way? These are, these are good questions to ask. Let's expand our knowledge together and, and come to a greater understanding. I think this is a, this is a good thing. But um, anyways, uh, I'll let him keep going. Mark the Evangelist in Alexandria, Egypt where he pastored with the Ogpia. Um, of course, a lot of people, they don't know any of this. They don't know any of what the rosary is. They don't know what the Lutheran rosary is or the Anglican rosary is or uh, the prayer ropes of the Orthodox are. And so they approach this with this heavy-handed uh, audiophora policing. And they're saying, well, if it's not necessary, I'm not going to do it. If it's not necessary, then screw it down to hell, right? That's not the right opinion that we should have. And if that was the right opinion, then there go the candles, there goes the altar, there goes the tablecloths, there goes the pyramids, there goes the altar book, there goes the liturgy, there goes the whole the whole thing. There goes the whole thing. And that's really what I want to say is that if you actually take Pastor Cow's arguments to heart and believe them all, you will become a restorationist evangelical. You will not be Lutheran <laughs> in practice at the end of the day. Maybe theologically, yes. But I don't think that that can really sustain itself without our uh, liturgical practice. And one of the reasons why is that our theology is inherently sacramental. Our, inher our theology is inherently uh, embodied. And one of the one of the, those complaints. All right. So, <laughs> yeah, you're all going to be reformed. Keep listening to this podcast. I'll get you away from the crucifix. You guys will will start to disdain clerical collars and, and, and investments and stuff like that. <laughs> I'm I'm slyly working on you. No, no, it's not. It's not that at all. It's not the thing at all. So again, um, what is it like? G.K. Somebody somebody said that. I think it was G.K. Chesterton. I don't remember who it was. Somebody. I, heard them quote this a million times where they're talking about when somebody's walking through a field uh, and they see a fence in the middle of the field and and one person says uh, i don't see the purpose of this fence let's get rid of it and the other person says well let's not move the fence until we find out the reason that it's there and then and, and that's the conservative or whatever that's the one who wants to hold on to their tradition now what i'm doing is i'm saying let's find out why that fence is there why is that fence there now again i can uh, so all right so in the parish that i serve we have vestments, we have candles, we have more than one crucifix, we have pyramids, we have a whole load of other neat, cool things. Before every service, I take time to pick something in the sanctuary and teach about what is specific, what is specifically teach that, excuse me, what is specifically being taught by this thing. We have eight sides on our baptismal font. That's because eight people were saved in Noah's Ark. Ooh, did you know that? Your baptismal font may have eight sides as well. Wouldn't it be cool to know that information? Why? And so for what I do is, uh, is I just kind of have an ad hoc before the service even begins. I say, do you know why I'm wearing this? What is this called? This is called an alb. Why is it called an alb? What does it symbolize? Why, you know, the, what is the black? What is the white? Uh, why do we have Jesus? Last Sunday, we talked about the crucifix. I said, why do we have, you know, 
Jesus on the cross. Jesus didn't stay on the cross. Well, he didn't, you know, stay in the manger either. So why do we have a why do we have a manger on Christmas with a baby Jesus in it? So I like I, I talked about these things. I think it's good. I think every pastor should take time to teach their congregation and be intentional. Like, how can you how can you teach a congreg a member of your congregation why you do something if you don't know the answer yourself? So what I'm encouraging is let's get to the answers. Let's all know the answers together. Me, me, because I'm a teacher, I really need to know the answers because I'm going to be called to account for them and I'm going to be going to be asked them. So if somebody asks me, you know, pastor, some people pray the Lutheran rosary. Should I do that? I believe that it's a good, re, a, a, a good idea for me to be able to say, well, let's go into it. Let's get into it. Here are the benefits. Would this benefit, you know, would these things benefit you? Here are the possible, you know, detriments. Would this be a distraction to you? Would you be treating it like a, like a relic or like a, a good luck charm? Is that something that you're prone to do? How do we, how do we get around that? How do we get around the detriments and emphasize the benefits? So to know that, of course, I have to ask questions. Why? What is the specific function of the tool, the Lutheran Rosary? Why use it? And why, why the things that have, that seem problematic, like what I would count as vain repetitions, the 53 repetitions of the Jesus prayer. Why? why? So I invite members of the congregation to ask why. It, like everything that's going on, why? It strengthens the Christian faith, keeps us intentional about our practice. Asking why something is done does not mean you have to remove everything you don't understand. It means understanding everything that you use. So let's, let's keep going. That he was bringing up is, you know, why do we why do we need a physical thing? Mm -hmm. Why do we need? He, he was extolling hymnals, right? I, why why would you extol a hymnal? Why would you extol a reading of uh, hymns or singing of hymns? Because it's a collection. I mean, it's it's very functional. Have all the hymns printed in front of you. That's why. Uh, over and against meditating on the mysteries of the passion and the birth and um, the glorification of our Lord. You can do that too. Why not both? In fact, some of that stuff is in the hymnal. You have the Psalms in the hymnal, for example. You've got lots of uh, study material in the hymnal. But we've also got a Bible <laughs> as well. And we've got, you know, devotional material, the Treasury of Daily Prayer or whatever. So we can do all these things. You know, different tools serve different functions. Not every tool has to serve every function. These are questions I have. Of course, another one of his complaints was that uh, this idea of rosary meditations doesn't make any sense to him. And uh, so that gets into con contemplative prayer. So there's a lot that we have to discuss. Uh, just on that one note, before I get sidetracked, I'll probably bring it up again. But the reason why it is helpful to use beads and why the church has been using beads for thousands of years um, or ropes is because we are embodied creatures. And what we're doing when we're using physical action, that is a liturgical rubric, or using a physical item in our prayer, or using icons, right, which is not something that's alien to Lutheran theology, um, although I'm sure Pastor Cal would say that it is, is because we ourselves are embodied creatures. And so Uh, that right there is an icon. I think it's the only one I have. I might have more somewhere else. That's uh, Jesus in the boat with his, um, with his disciples. Um, so, it's I, and it's supposed to. It's, I think. It, let me see. That one representing Christ, the boat of the church, the ark of the church. I don't remember. I'd have to look at it again. But there's functions for, there's functions for icons uh, in terms of. Um, I would say like um, it helps you remember a story. I can look at a picture and say, oh yeah, I remember the story of. Jesus uh, calming the storm, or it can. Um, yeah, I mean, so again, you know, picture pictures worth a thousand words. It's it's for it's for teaching. I don't think that it should be uh, viewed in the same way that the Eastern Orthodox view it as it's a portal to to see into heaven. Um, it's it, it has it has its functions, a tool again, <laughs> but I, it's specifically not just well. It's part of Lutheran tradition. I guess we have to keep doing it. But like, why? Why are we doing what we're doing? Why do I have a picture of that on, on the wall? Well, I'll, I'll tell you exactly why I have a picture of that on the wall. Let me take it down and, and talk all about it. Um, but yeah, okay, so keep going. 
So this brings another part of us into the prayer. It's what it's doing is it's dragging our whole being, our nefesh, our soul and body together into prayer to God, right? How can that be a bad thing? Well, I'm sure somebody will have some kind of argument, but it will really just be summed up as well. Roman Catholics do that and we hate Roman Catholics. <laughs> well, that is always a, that's always a great argument. Ah, Roman Catholic, do it so we shouldn't do it. Um, I do have a question. I mean, I'll, 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 not, I'll not do that one. So later, so in this video, uh, Pastor Connor, he gives a specific function of the physical rosary. And this is exactly what I've been asking for. Like, give me some specific functions. Uh, he, he mentions that we are physical beings. We're corp corporeal beings. We can better focus on prayer by being involved physically as well. So an example uh, that I used in the previous video is, is folding your hands. Now, yes, this is supposed to stop you from fidgeting, from occupying your senses physically so you can focus on uh, the same task you know, you're speaking a prayer, but you're also kind of, you're in a, um, in a stance of prayer. Um, so it, it kind of, it brings your whole body into the experience because you are body and soul. You are body and spirit at the same time. So while your spirit prays, your body, you should, I mean, if you can, it's not going to prevent your spirit from praying, but it, it is beneficial to, to, I would say specifically beneficial because you were involving all elements of your body. If you're speaking it and you're hearing the prayer and you're bowing and your hands are folded or in some posture where you're, um, where you're focusing on your prayer, then again, the, the physical is brought, is brought together with the, with the spiritual, and it's, and it's cooperative. Uh, crossing yourself is, is you know, a, a similar thing. These are practices that help connect your physical action to what you're doing verbally or spiritually, since, again, the Christian is, is, is body and spirit. Um, uh, I'm not going <laughs> to get into the Roman Catholic thing, although I do think well, yeah, I'll get into a, 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 a smidge. There is a bit of superstition in Roman Catholicism, and a lot of times, and I don't want to say necessarily it's um, it's the official teaching, but in terms of the practicing, and this is true for a lot of Christians uh, and a lot of traditions, a, a lot of a lot of them will think of um, of physical objects as good luck charms. If I have my medallion on me, if I have my crucifix on me, then I'm going to be physically protected from harm. If I cross myself, then that's going to ward off the evil eye or whatever. Like that, there's specific things that you do or carry or say or whatever that like, like manifest danger away from you or something like that. So um, it is possible that somebody playing with the the rosary beads could think that by that action they're somehow I don't know contributing to their forgiveness. Like there's a million different ways you can get it wrong. <laughs> so I'm not going to get into that, but it's possible. It's something to be aware of. It's something that, uh, you know, to be, let me fix my camera to, uh, to be cautious about, but yeah, I don't think it's necessarily true for everybody. So we're not going to do that. Uh, so anyways, <laughs> let's begin then. Um, what, what then uh, is this Lutheran rosary? Let's talk about this. So the Lutheran rosary is similar to the Roman Catholic rosary. We'll talk about that in a second. Maybe actually we'll talk about that first. The Roman Catholic rosary, as it stands now, right, is you take this set of beads. Uh, this is a normal-sized rosary that, that you would get. You would call this a five-decade rosary. Decade just meaning 10. That's the set of 10 beads. Why are there 10 beads? Well, this goes back to the original um, uh, historic history of the rosary, and that goes back actually to what we were saying is the Liturgy of the Hours. So in the Liturgy of the Hours, right, this is the set time of prayer that Christians do, and this actually developed out of the set time of prayer that the Jews did, and that Jesus did himself also, that they had set, not only set times for prayer, but set prayers to pray. And by and large, those prayers that they prayed at those set times of prayer were um, Psalms. Now, also, uh, speaking of Jews um, and the way that they prayed historically as well as contemporarily, you might notice that they have tassels on them, they have prayer shawls on them. These are things that Jesus himself had. These are things that the apostles themselves had. Do you know what the purpose of these things was? Can you guess? It's to bring the body in. I'm curious if um, if Jesus and the apostles had these things. Now, I mean, uh, there are there are some things that are that are commanded in the Old Testament as part of the you know Levitical covenant or anything like that, um, and there are you know specific specific ways to groom groom your beard and your hair and and and, and garments and, and and stuff like that but we want to be really careful and not take kind of um the developed judaism 
and and equate that with with Yahweh, the Yahwism of the Old Testament, the faithful, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, whatever, uh, so on and so forth. Because there are again a lot of things that developed, and this is something that you'll see that you know that Jesus and his disciples encounter is that the hand washing ritual is one of these examples of the developed tradition. So we know that additional things did did develop o- over time. But again, the you know. The, there were there were um, specific elements of physical dress that were a part of the um, the Mosaic Covenant. They were part of as Israel, you need to do this thing. You need to have this physical thing done to your body. You need to uh, wear these kinds of clothes and avoid these other kinds of clothes. Avoid these kinds of food. Uh, not touch bodies. You know, there's there's ceremonial laws. There's kind of cleanliness things. There's yeah, there's all kinds of uh, of cool stuff there to uh, the religious practice and the life of prayer uh, as it goes and approaches God uh, with his promises, goes and remembers his word and engages in that liturgical anamnesis. So anyways, historically, from this liturgy of the hours, which develops from the Jewish hours of prayer, then comes uh, what these monks were doing in the monasteries. I'm sure Pastor Kyle is also against monks as well. Uh, We'll we'll talk about that later, I think. Um, Not monks. Uh, I'm against cloistering. So if if you're dedicated, I mean, the closest thing we have to monks is really seminary. Um, uh, Back in the day, you would have monasteries that were involved in the community. They would be producing beer or, you know, some other sort of useful you know, civil, civilly useful function, as well as, you know, maybe they'd have education or taking care of uh, children or, you know, hospital type thing. Um, but, but, but my, my issue is not with monks. My issue is with cloistering, with locking yourself away from the world. Uh, and there's a, a bunch of like really bad reasons people did that. Like they, they, they thought that by locking themselves away, they could avoid sin and temptation. And I get the appeal of that. Every once in a while, it would be nice to live on a mountain without access to the internet or anything to make you mad. Um, but at the same time, like that calls us to be in the world and be involved in the world. So I think that there were monasteries that did it right. And there were monasteries that did it wrong. There were people who dedicated their lives as, as monks, as servants who did it right. And there were people who dedicated their lives as monks, um, in such a way that they thought they were gaining some favor or, or you know, some sort of, there, there's a good reason to do it and there's a bad reason to do it. There's a good way to do it and a bad way to do it. So it's mixed. But I'm sure you can guess that uh, I'm not against monks. And so these monks, historically in the ancient church, they were praying the entire Psalter every single day, right? This takes, people say, oh, that's impossible. It actually takes five hours if you do it sung. You can go and find recordings of it done. Um, it's not that long in the scope of the whole day. And so, for example, uh, they weren't doing it all at one time. What they were doing, again, they were breaking it up. And so they had, yeah, five hours of prayer. But they remember, they're monks. They had also service of the community, uh, quiet time, personal time. So anyways, that's what they were doing. And the the, the church and the lady in the church wanted something, a, a private devotion for themselves to do that was quite like uh, what those uh, monks were doing. But they didn't have the time. Really, they don't. Um, if you're not a, a professional monk that actually just lives their life and forms your community around prayer, sure, you can pray for uh, maybe an hour a day, but not five hours a day. That's a bit... So this is, I mean, this is similar to, oops, sorry about that. This is similar to uh, if you're a pastor. Like, as a pastor, I have more time that has to be absolutely must be dedicated to studying God's word and studying you know theological concepts. There are people who have other other functions that are God blessed and holy, uh, and, and they do other jobs and there's other responsibilities and there's mothers and fathers and people workers of all kinds and God bless them and God does bless them uh, in their holy work. But specifically, like a monk, as a pastor, I get more time in this, in this blessed task of of studying scripture. It's just it's just the nature of things that I have more time that I can dedicate to. Um, to spiritual development than, than others. And then, of course, I use that to, to then teach. But yeah, it's just, it's similar to that, I would say. I mean, similar. The monks would be like, like they would, they would be very focused um, on, on, on that, whereas I'm running around running errands and picking up groceries and, and all these other things I don't think they had to do. Answering emails, oh, good grief too much, right? And this is, of course, most people at the time, they were going to daily services, they were going to daily divine service. And so that's going to be an hour. In the earlier church, that was more than an hour, hour, hour and a half, two hours, three hours. It was long, longer than our Lutheran services are now, longer than Roman Catholic services are now. 
So this is uh, just maybe an hour, uh, maybe a little bit more than an hour, but basically essentially what they were doing was they took this notion of praying 150 psalms and they instead were using that to pray uh, originally the Our Father. Uh, this is in the West specifically. Now the desert, in the desert, there's something similar and there's a very strong connection. We can't be 100% sure that what happened in the West is directly connected to what happened in the deserts of the Oriental Church or the Eastern Orthodox Church. But what arose there was these prayer ropes that were designed for praying the Jesus prayer. And that is Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Or you could find other variations of that, that same prayer. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, so on, right? It's the Kyrie, Ale, Kyrie Eleison, right? And so this is actually coming. It's, you'll see how these two traditions, they come together to form what is the Lutheran uh, rosary. And this is actually something quite fitting because if you look at our common service, there are parts of that. And not just the common service, but in our Lutheran service books, as, we, as they stand out, the LSB or the LBW or the uh, even the ELW, they have things in there that are not from the Western Rite liturgies, but that come from the East. Um, you got moonshine Particularly, there? for example, the Fos Hilarion. Um, <laughs> or the uh, Psalm 141, let my prayer rise before you as incense, as we see in our Vespers liturgy. These things are not from the West. These things are from the East. And so the Lutheran mind liturgically is not actually purely Western. What it's doing is it's mostly Western, but it's taking some Eastern things and dragging them in, trying to breathe, if you will, with the two lungs of the church. So anyways, um, as, it, as it then developed, That is a fantastic point. That is an excellent point. The Lutheran church is not just Catholic light. The Lutheran church is not... The, the function of the Lutheran church and what we do, and, and a lot of our trappings are similar to the Roman Catholics. The, 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 the style of vestments, for example, and some of the... Uh, yeah, some of the things we wear, some of the things we do, a lot of them are in Latin rather than in Greek. Some of them are in Greek. But Lutherans are not just trying to be Roman Catholic or trying to look Roman Catholic, which is my concern sometimes when, when somebody takes a, a, a rosary and they base it on the Roman Catholic rosary. You mentioned that there's an Anglican rosary. There's also, you know, there's different configurations of prayer beads throughout history. That gives me an idea. If there's, if there's different developed versions of prayer beads throughout history, and they're developed for different functions. Obviously, there's like different things that are that are that they're designed to do. We as Lutherans don't need to take the Roman Catholic rosary if we've got things that we disagree with, like the Hail Mary and whatnot. We don't need to take the the Lutheran the uh, Roman Catholic rosary and say, "How do we take this Roman Catholic rosary, leave it exactly as is, and make it Lutheran?" But instead, why not do what we've traditionally done? Like you were just mentioning right here. The Lutheran Church is the traditional Christian church, not just of the West, but of the East and the West and the whole world combined. We take from traditions of all of the Christian church around the world, and we even develop traditions kind of based on those things. Why not do that with a rosary as well? Why do we have to stick to the, the Roman Catholic configuration of the rosary? So this gives me an idea, and uh, stay tuned because because uh, I'm going to develop something on this. Um, I, I, I think that no, the seeds of uh, inspiration have have struck. Thank you for that. You have at the same time around the turn of the millennium, a little bit after, a little bit before, before depending on what historical scholar you're looking at, and they refer to the rise of what is called this, um, you know, not Marian cult, because the, the Marian cult and the cult of Mary began even before this, and the cult of the saints goes all the way back. But this kind of use of Mary, concept of Marian devotion, right, in private devotion, uh, arose due to uh, the a use and uh, what could you say, a, a rising up of Marian perspective antiphons in the liturgy of the hours, and from that came this. Uh, private Marian devotion. And that's what gave rise to things like the Hail Mary in, in not exchanging the Our Father in what is now the Rosary, but coming alongside it. And so as we talk about what the Rosary became, you know, if you can take this this thing and times it by three, because this is a 15-decade Rosary. So originally, this is going to be, uh, sorry, this is a five-decade Rosary. You take this, multiply it by three, you have a 15-decade Rosary, and then you have the mysteries that go along with that. But I'll get to the mysteries in a second, because they, they weren't there from the beginning. So imagine this is times three, and what they're doing is they're mimicking the, the, the Psalter, 150. Um, and so they're saying, Our Father, Our Father, Our Father, not literally Our Father, the full Our Father, the full Lord's Prayer on each of these. And the idea there is to steep yourself in prayer. So Cal's saying, why does it need to be 150? It's not that it needs to be 150. Why are there 150 Psalms? Is it because there needs to be 150 Psalms? Why were the monks praying 150 Psalms a day? Is it because they needed to or thought that they were saving? Well, but there's 150 different Psalms. Right. That, that's. That's the difference. Like, you're you're saying you've got you got a 15 decade rosary. That's 150 times you repeat the exact same thing. 
it's not the same question. It would be the same question if, if the monks repeated the same psalm 150 times. That would be the same. You know, say, well, you know, they got 150 repetitions of that. We're just doing 150 repetitions of a prayer. It's not the same. They're counting through something that happens to have 150 of them. That's different from saying, I'm prescribing 150 repetitions of the same thing over and over and over and over again. That's, that's the point that I'm trying to make here. It's not that, like, okay, so uh, I think I watched uh, Jay Coop's video, and he talked about something similar. Is that, you know, they, would, they, would count through the, they would count through the beats to kind of keep track of which psalm they were on. It's, it's like, that was one of the original functions. I mean, again, there's a bunch of different ways that beads were used to, to, to track things and whatever. But there, there, it's one thing to track your way through something. And it's another thing to track repetitions of, of a thing. One of them, in one case, you're using a map. You're saying, I was here, now I'm here, now I'm here further down the map. In the other case, you're using a clicker. You're saying, okay, you know, every time I repeat it, I'll click the, click the thing and the little, little, little dial will turn over or whatever. I'll make a... And prayer clickers are a thing too. Like that is that's also a thing. Well, that's a, that's, that's an I've seen it in Islam. Um, I'm sure that there's some sort of Christian variation of it. Like they'll just put a cross on it or whatever. But in Islam, that's what they do. Is they is they have like a clicker, and as they repeat the prayers, they'll click on the prayers, uh, or they'll click on the on the clicker to know which how many repetitions they've done. Or uh, actually, I'm not really sure. Maybe they're maybe they're going through like verses or whatever, so they know which verse they're on. I think it's just repetitions, but. Is that all a rosary is supposed to be? Is it just like a clicker? Is it an abacus to tell how many how many repetitions you've done, or are you working your way through something and it's a roadmap like it would be with a with a, the monks praying the different psalms? Themselves by doing that. Well, in a sense, yes. Is it amazing for your soul? Is it going to save you to read, to meditate, to memorize the entire Psalter, to pray the Psalter? Yes, right? And I think we need to really like, balk against this idea that is arising in some churches and some places where we have certain people saying, oh, you think it's going to save you to read the Bible? Yes. Duh. You think it's going to save you to pray? Yes. You think it's going to save you to go to church? Yes. Why don't comes you? By why, really? Why don't you? Why don't you think it is going to save you to go to daily services and receive the, the sacrament of Holy Communion every day and to pray every day and to read your scriptures every day? What's so bad about that? Nothing. Now, I, I do get the abuse okay. on the other side is that they would be saying, oh, if you didn't do that, you're not saved. But that's not what, that's not what is being said here. Um, and it's also not to say that if you prayed 159 psalms a day, or 100, uh, sorry, 49 or 48, <laughs> that it wouldn't, wouldn't work or something, right? Uh, this is something that uh, Pastor Cal is importing onto these people in their mindset. They're not thinking as legalistically as Pastor Cal is, uh, though I think he, he probably... Again, the distinction here, the legalistic distinction is repeat the thing 50 times versus go through 50 different things. That's that's a distinction that I, that I'm making here. I, I do think that it's legalistic to say uh, to to pick an arbitrary number and say you know you have to do this thing this many times. Why? Why? If you're reading through the whole Psalter as you just said, you're getting through a whole corpus of text. That's wonderful. You're learning all of these things. Now, if you want to say okay, um, I'm I, I'm repeating this thing. Uh, like let, let's say you're using the beats to count how many times you read through Psalm one, for example. And you want to count 10 times. And the reason you want to do this is because you want to learn to memorize a psalm. That could be useful. I Add that to the list. Whoever's keeping track of this, add that to the list of uses. If you're keeping track of like how many times you read something to, to try to work a memorization, that's that, that could actually be a very uh, useful um, tool for that. But if you're just repeating a prayer that you already have memorized, why 53 times? Yes, they are. They're not. Um, they're actually thinking in a way that is simply asking... How can I be in this? How can I be steeped in this? How can I let this thing transform me and conform me into the image of Christ? Well, the way that I'll do that is actually by praying them. The way I'll do that is by reading the scriptures a lot, memorizing them, being mm -hmm. in them. What better way to do that Good. than to just pray it every day? This is what they did. And that wasn't to the exclusion of the other scriptures. Yeah, pray the scriptures. Not the same prayer 53 times. That was in addition to uh, the other scriptures as well. So anyways, then you had this uh, distinction in beads, right? You had these, these larger beads, right? These ones. 
uh, in conjunction with these these decades, these little beats, right? And so these these ones were then used for the Our Father. These were used for uh, remember uh, in the Middle Ages, uh, this uh, concept of private Marian devotions uh, became a thing as developed through the antiphons in the liturgy of the hours. And so then came this Harry Mail, Hail Mary tradition. Now people say, oh, the ha Hail Mary, and of course Pastor Cal does bring this up, and this is a this is one of the more uh, what, what could you say relevant points to the argument. Um, and so there he's saying, well, it's doing giving undue glory to Mary. So let me just, uh, I guess, attack it this way. Originally, the Hail Mary itself, as used in the rosary, was half of what the Hail Mary now is. See, the Hail Mary, as it is now had, is called the pre-trend Hail Mary. I'm going to say what it is for educational purposes. Right. Please, nobody get triggered, right? <laughs> but the, the post-trend Hail Mary, the, the post-trend after the Council of Trent, they changed it. They added yep. a second half to it. This yep. is now the full one now, the post-trend one now. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. That's how it goes, right? So the pre-trend Hail Mary, the original Hail Mary that existed in the first few centuries, for several centuries really, of this um, praying of a Marian rosary, which is really what we should call it, a Marian rosary, um, rather than just the rosary. Let's call it the Marian rosary to know specifically what we're talking about, especially because its origins begin historically with the Our Father. If, if you, also if you uh, believe in the um, the theory that it, it came from the Desert Fathers and the, and the Orthodox, then it would originally be the Jesus prayer, but I'll leave that to your your discretion to discover <laughs> that. Um, this was simply, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Th that is actually two verses uh, placed together. They both come from Luke chapter one, right? They come from the Annunciation and from Elizabeth's visitation of, uh, of Mary, the mother of God. Now, Absolutely true. You need to make the and a lot of people aren't aren't familiar with this distinction that he's making, but the pre-Trent and post-Trent, excuse me, pre-Trent and post-Trent um, versions of the Hail Mary are, are are different. Hail Mary, you know, full of like that's again, like you said, that's from Luke. It's literally just a part of a it's it's a it's a two Bible verses. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is the thing is the things that they added on 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 later. So uh, again, Christians of all stripes should not be squeamish about using using scripture and, and praying scripture but there's some things that get added later to it that's that and he and i would agree that's where the problem comes in not the not the original version which is again it's just scripture I think we should all know that. If we don't all know that, I think that proves the beneficial um, the beneficial reason for having something like the rosary, at least as it has become now. So let's talk then about what it has become now, right? What it has become now. Oh, no, let me, before I go there, what, what, let me just ask, what is wrong, right? If it is wrong to say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou amongst women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. If that's wrong, then the book of Luke, chapter one, is wrong. If that's wrong, then the angel in the Annunciation is wrong. If that's wrong, it is wrong to read, to recite, or to preach Luke one. If that's wrong, then Elizabeth is wrong. I'm not right. going to accept that because if that's wrong, then the Holy Spirit is wrong, <laughs> which is right. not, right? The question is, is it wrong to then recite that in our prayers? So there, I think we have to ask nope. this, con this question, uh, which gets at a deeper concept. What are the scriptures for? Are the scriptures only for just reading propositionally? And that really, I think, gets at one of the disconnects between um, people who like the Lutheran Rosary, like myself, or people like Pastor Cal who don't like it. And again, beside that, we're both Lutherans, so we're going to agree on a lot. It's just Where do you think the Lord's Prayer comes from? We didn't just make that up. Lord's Prayer is just scripture. I mean, Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer to, to his disciples in multiple times in scripture, probably repeats it on different occasions. Uh, there's a lot of prayer. Much of the liturgy, in fact, most of the liturgy, if not all of it, is scripture. That's what it is. So it's not that I have anything wrong with prayers derived from scripture. Again, my problem is the post-Trent uh, kind of uh, addition to the Hail Mary, uh, which is is what is presently used in the Roman Catholic Church and the vain repetition aspect. Those are the those are the two kind of primary concerns that I that I have of this. Not that we're getting prayers from Scripture at all. So yeah, let's move my camera again and continue. This is one thing, but um, what I would say is that when he's when he's talking about that and making those complaints, what I think it does, and I could be wrong, but this is what I think, is that it shows that he has in in many ways kind of accepted this reformed and non-Lutheran Protestant influence upon him, which has given to him this kind of propositional worldview that now the scriptures are good for nothing other than just reading, that the scriptures are really good for nothing other than intellectual uh, reception and thinking about them. But if they... No, I, you know, again, maybe something I said was misunderstood here. I, I no, I, scripture absolutely benefits you in terms of just reading it, 
But like I mentioned, you can pray the catechism, for example, and that's based on, you know, that's based on Scripture. But yeah, you can absolutely, you can pray the Psalms. You should pray the Psalms. You, there's all kinds of stuff. If you go back and look at my archive of videos, I've got this whole stupid archive. Uh, where it's, I call it like 50 caliber gospel word of the day or 50 caliber gospel prayer of the day. And, and I use specific specific passages in Scripture and say, you know what, you can actually pray this passage in Scripture. At one point, there's a, there's a father who talks about his son is, is, is possessed and has been uh, thrown into the fire, and, et cetera. Um, and, and he says, you know, if, you know, if it's possible, please heal him. And Jesus says, if it's possible, you know, all things are possible for those who believe. And, and the guy responds with, I believe, help my unbelief. And I say that that passage of Scripture alone, that I believe, help my unbelief, we can pray that as well. The, the, who was it, the, the leper calling out to Jesus, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy? Yeah, granted, that was something the beggars shouted at everybody. We can pray that as well. And so I'm all on board about praying, uh, praying passages from Scripture, as well as studying passages from Scripture and, and meditating on them, uh, getting to know them intellectually, but also kind of letting them affect us emotionally, and inspiring music as well. There's all kinds of great, wonderful uses for Scripture. For There's scripture. no deeper level there than, of course, the idea of using the Scriptures in your prayer as prayers are, is done. But even then, uh, if, if that propositional worldview is true, then prayer itself can never be more than simply asking and making petitions. And so, of course, things like a Lutheran rosary or a rosary rosary are going to sound stupid. Of course, things like the, the, the prayer rope and the Jesus prayer is going to sound stupid. Of course, it's going to seem like vain repetition, because if you're operating from that kind of a propositional worldview, where prayer is just about asking for something once and receiving it, or asking something once and not receiving it, or praising God even, or whatever, it's just, I'm going to say this one thing, get it out of the way, and move on. And a lot of those prayers have become the bread and butter in so many people's churches, and they go like, oh Lord Jesus, thank you for this, I ask you for this, uh, amen, that's it, right? <laughs> Look, if that's all the prayer is, obviously this is going to seem bizarre, but so then is the liturgy, right? It does not understand, it does not grasp the nature of what we are doing liturgically as Lutherans. So actually, really, what I want to say about this is that liturgically, and that means both in the divine service as well as in the liturgy of the hours, which is a corporate thing, it is not a private devotion, right? It is something we are supposed to do together in community at church, it's meant that way, especially in the Lutheran church. But beyond that, even in doing things like um, the Jesus prayer or the Lutheran rosary or whatever kind of thing, what this is, is it's taking this private uh, devotion prayer and it is making it liturgical. It's, it's engaging our fleshly bodies, making the, uh, bringing the, the embodied nature of ourself, of our nefesh into our prayers. And it's making it ordered and structured and it's forming it around the scriptures. Can you not see that, right? Like how, how do they begin, right? Let me just go over this. I'm not even done like the full, the full history of the, of the Marian rosary, but just so that you can see exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about making the sign of the cross, right? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is a triune invocation. Some low church Lutherans are actually still against this. I don't know if, if Pastor Cal is one of those, uh, but I, you know, maybe he is. I don't. I, uh, it, it, it tickles me absolutely pink that I'm considered a low church Lutheran by some people. And, and, and I'm not, this isn't against Pastor Connor. He doesn't know me, doesn't know me that well, but, um, <laughs> it's so funny when every once in a while I'll have visitors to the congregation and just be like, why are you guys so Roman Catholic? And like, and we have people, we have crucifers and we have, we have torchbearers and we have, uh, sometimes we'll have, uh, gospel processionals and, and we'll have all of these like really cool things. And people are talking about adding bells to the service. And some people are looking into adding incense to the service. And again, those serve specific functions that, you know, that I could explain as to why we do it. Not just because we're high church, quote unquote, and the high church does things because they just do things. So <laughs> I, again, um, it, it is, it is a bit of a chortle for me, a slap, a, 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 a knee slapper that, um, from one position, people are saying, oh, you're a low church Lutheran. And other people will be like, well, you're basically a papist. It's like, <laughs> you can't win. You can't win with these guys in, in, in Tucson where I am. Uh, I am proud to say that my church is what, well, not my church, God's church that I, that I serve is, is one of the congregations that has a, an absolutely confessional, traditional, I would call us high church. Now we're not Redeemer in Fort Wayne. Redeemer in Fort Wayne is Redeemer in Fort Wayne. Like it's pretty hard to get to that state, but 
we, yeah, we, we do all right for ourselves in terms of uh, traditional confessional uh, liturgical practices. We, we do a pretty solid job, I, I would say. And every day we, we learn more and we, you know, we do more things. So I don't know that low church is, is an, is an interesting, um, uh, is an interesting adjective that doesn't usually describe kind of what we do, but you know, I get called that too when I when I question the uh, Semper Virgo when I'm not just like immediately on board with Semper Virgo. I'm like, why? You know, let's talk about it. And they say, oh, you you don't immediately accept Semper Virgo. You must be a low church. You know, Lutheran. You're not pious. I'm like, oh, oh, it stepped on a toe there. Let's uh, let's take a step back there, there, Mister. I would consider this church a high church and a high high church church, and myself uh, as well. But you know, let's let's continue. It can always be higher, right? <laughs> Oh, and then on that same crucifix, you then say the, 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 the Apostles' Creed, right? And then you say the Our Father. And then you'll say, if you're doing the, uh, the, the, the Lutheran Rosary, or even if you're talking about the Marian Rosary, right? What you're doing, either from the Jesus Prayer or even the pre Hail Mary, is just quoting Scripture, right? And I'll get to, the, I'll get to this context, uh, concept later. Then you have the Glory Apostle, Glory to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit. And then you have, now, the first mystery. And as you go forward, you can even, if you wanted to say, what is this uh, full, um, full Marian thing, even uh, take out that, that post-trend part, even let's talk about that so that uh, less, less uh, Lutherans and Protestants are mad at me, is that then, then you'll have uh, these uh, 10 whatevers you're going to say, and then you'll have the glory to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit again. Then you'll have what's called the Fatima Prayer. The Fatima Prayer, a lot of people hate it. It comes from the 17th century, so it is very late. Or 1700s, not 17th century. It is very late. And a lot of people hate it because it's associated with a Marian apparition, and they say that's just ridiculous. By the way, the, the Marian Rosary itself is also associated with a Marian apparition, and I'll get there in a second. <laughs> I will tell you about that. Um, but the prayer is simply this. Oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, and lead all souls to heaven, especially those in need of thy mercy. What is wrong with that prayer? How can you possibly not like that prayer, no matter who you are? If you're a Baptist, if you're a Presbyterian, if you're a Mormon, how can you not like that prayer, right? That now, I, I appreciate any, everybody who's listening to this channel, um, I, want, I want you to take a moment to appreciate um, what Pastor Connor is contributing here, is, is he's giving a lot of history. He's giving a lot of explanation of a lot of really cool things going on that we often don't get a chance to talk about or think about. So this is fantastic. And this is exactly why I encourage pastors to absolutely reach out and have conversations or even arguments. Because as a result of disagreeing with one another, we all get to experience together this, this, you know, well, this teaching. And it's fantastic. And he knows about stuff I don't know about. Presumably, I might know a thing that, that he doesn't know about. I don't know. <laughs> so so, um, so this, is, this is wonderful. This is exactly how Christian, how Christian conversation should go. I think it's absolutely, it's, it's passionate yet edifying. You know, I think Luther absolutely probably uh, had some harsh words for, say, Melanchthon or something like that. But the conversation between them, you know, probably led to something, something grand. So yeah, and so one of the things he points out is, is the Fatima prayer is 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 what well, we would say fairly recent, right? You know, three hundred years, uh, uh, some, something like that. This this kind of goes to the point that not everything that's done needs to be done because it's ancient. We don't need to. Uh, transverse or conversely, I don't know, transverse or whatever. Uh, on the other hand, uh, just because something is ancient doesn't mean we have to do that, or specifically we have to do that and only that. So the Fatima prayer is is an example of something where he's saying, look at this. This is a wonderful thing that was developed later on. The content, Look at the content of what it is, regardless of if it was a result of uh, an apparition or, or, or not. Um, look at the content of what it is. And likewise, I would agree, I would say, yes, there are some traditions that are developed later on that are that are wonderful. The question is, what function do they serve? What is the content of the Fatima prayer? That's not, and this is what he's pointing out, and this is exactly, exactly what I'm saying. Yes, yes, what is the content of the prayer? What are you confessing? What are you praying? What is the function? What does it do? What is it, you know? So let's, uh, let's keep going. 
prayer is what what is that prayer? That prayer is a plea for the forgiveness of sins, for mercy, for salvation for us and for all people. That's all Sounds that it is. So, so then they move on, they continue to do it. And he did bring up the Hail Holy Queen. I will grant the Hail Holy Queen is the most problematic of all of these things from the Lutheran perspective. <laughs> we, will, we will get to that. We will discuss that uh, in a little bit when we get there. So anyways, then uh, back to the development of the Marian Rosary. Uh, then came in before any, any other changes. So by the way, when, when, when it started to take on this Marian flavor and shift away from things like just the Our Father uh, or just the Jesus Prayer, if you accept that uh, as, its, as its historical trajectory, what um, St. Dominic, who, who basically brought in this Marian nature of the Rosary, a lot, I think you can see because there's a lot of uh, disconnect and, and discord between the historical accounts and the historical development, which we know is very clear and even is attested to in Roman Catholic sources. And then when we get in this kind of hagiography hagi of St. Dominic and these uh, legends and these apparitions, they, they don't they don't really cohere with um, the historical accounts. However, uh, if, if there's Roman Catholic listeners, I'm sure you have ways to uh, <laughs> connect these things. I don't know. But um, they, they say basically Mary uh, appeared to them and told them to, gave him a full 15-decade rosary and was like, here, this is nice. how you'll pray. These are the prayers you'll pray on and so on. Uh, basically, he, he did that in connection with the mysteries. And so later on, actually, we know who uh, and when these mysteries started being contemplated with this. But the idea of St. Dominic was that he was trying to preach these mysteries. These are basically just the key mysteries of the gospel, the mysteries of, of the joyful mysteries. And these are things like the Annunciation, the birth, the visitation, uh, the um, cleansing in the temple or the purification in the temple, which is really an offering to, of Jesus in the temple. And then you have the Song of Simeon there as well. Uh, and then followed by uh, Jesus teaching in the temple, you have the, the luminous mysteries, which logically, theologically would follow after the joyful. And these are things like his baptism, him preaching the kingdom of God having come, uh, the, sorry, the wedding of Cana, I think comes before that. And then you have the uh, transfiguration and then you have the Eucharist. Uh, you also have the Sorrowful mysteries, which are things like the crucifixion. It begins with the agony in the garden. It moves toward the scourging of the pillar, which is him being handed over. It goes into the crowning of thorns, to the carrying of the cross, to the crucifixion itself. And then you have the glorious mysteries. And there, admittedly, the glorious mysteries have some very Marian themes. Um, and so as Father Cal was mentioning uh, correctly, he did say that the Lutheran rosary is has the same mysteries as the Marian rosary, except he said there's a couple changes. And the changes are two of the glorious mysteries. And those uh, glorious mysteries begin, of course, with the resurrection. Then they go to the ascension. And then they go to the the Holy Pente the, the Feast of Holy Pentecost. And then we have the two Marian glorious mysteries, which are the, Mary, the Assumption of Mary. And then you have the crowning of Mary. So, um, now, I haven't, I haven't looked exactly at, uh, oh, by the way, then in the Marian Rosary, as it stands now, of course, uh, you have then the, uh, the Hail Holy Queen, which is, I think, called in Latin the Salve Regina. I don't actually know. Um, but yeah, that, that one is, uh, it cannot fit into any kind of concept of a Lutheran <laughs> understanding of piety or devotion or even of the saints. It's very, very flowery, very over the top. Um, and something should be said about that, maybe. We'll see. Um, however, as this... Uh... All right, so I'm going to pause him right here. Um, and and I, I really think that this was a good idea, living, listening to his, his video uh, in total. And I think, um, so we're at an hour now. We're an hour into this, give or take <laughs> a little bit. We're an hour into this uh, uh, into this episode right now. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to end the episode. And the next episode, I'm going to continue because we're really only about halfway through um, the, the content that he's giving. And I don't think it is fair to only hear half the content. So I want you guys to hear all the stuff that I'm hearing as well. Uh, because I think this is really, this is wonderful. This is fantastic. So thank you again so much, Pastor Connor, uh, um, for for putting this together and for doing the research, um, not just necessarily the research that you did uh, for this specific video, but the research that brought you to the point where you can talk about these things uh, just, you know, off 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 the top of your head. This is this is wonderful, fantastic stuff. And I think it's edifying for, for my handful of six or so viewers, listeners, uh, to, to hear as well. So I would like to, uh, so again, the, the link to the full video is going to be in the description below, and you can go to his channel and check out to see if he's got anything else on his channel that, uh, that kind of piques your interest as well. Um, I have a couple more subscribers on YouTube than he does. Not a whole lot, but, um, you know, God willing, maybe, maybe someday I'll have, a, I'll have a, a billion. I'll knock Joel Osteen off the, uh, off the YouTube airs. Um, <laughs> but go and uh, uh, this is wonderful. This is, uh, this is an excellent source of, of information. And in my next video, in my next uh, episode, I'm going to continue listening for the rest of his for the rest of the content of this video, uh, because again, I think that it's going to be edifying to go through the entirety of what he says. If you want to get a head start and listen to the whole video in advance, by all means, go ahead and check out the link in the uh, in the description below. 
Uh, give it a listen, and you'll be ahead of the game because you will have heard the second half of this. Whereas at this point, I haven't heard the second half yet. I, I haven't. This is all this is all new new to me. I'm reacting live, live Tucker reaction. Um, I'm reacting live to this, and so far, I love it. It's it's this is fantastic, and this is a wonderful wonderful thing to have a conversation about. So after I do the um, uh, after I finish the response uh, to, um, to to Pastor Connor's video. What I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to then, so uh, Brother Logan is, uh, he's another Lutheran, he's an online Lutheran, and he's the one who, um, who I was having a conversation about with, um, conversation with about the Lutheran Rosary and kind of his understanding of, of how to structure it to make it functional. He has also put out a video, um, I'm not going to put it in the description yet because uh, I don't want to, you know, spoiler it too much. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't, he's doing an interview with somebody else who, who runs a, a Facebook group. Um, about the Lutheran Rosary. So what I'm going to do is after I finish going through and listening to all of, uh, all of Pastor Connor's content on this, on the Lutheran Rosary, then I'm going to go and, um, and then I'm going to engage with Brother Logan's content on this Lutheran Rosary. Because again, the wonderful thing about us Christians living so far away from each other with, with internet is that we get to have these conversations and we get to learn and edify each other and, and, and share content. And, and this is, uh, I think this is an all-around blessing for me, for Pastor Connor, because he gets to to, to meditate on these things and, and to think about them and explain them and teach. It's you have no idea how much pastors love to teach. Uh, I think it's, it's a benefit for for Brother Connor, for Brother uh, Logan, um, and for everybody who's who's listening as well. Whether you agree or disagree with me or him or you know anything that's said, or it's still it's still I think it's good. It's good stuff to to mull over and to contemplate, to think about. And I think we walk away from this knowing more than we did before and glory glorifying God all the way. So again, soli deo gloria. God bless you all. Take care and I will see you for the second half of this in the next episode. Take care. God bless.